Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Jill Winger, who is the founder of the Prairie Homesteader, has the best-selling cookbook, and I believe another book or two maybe as well. Uh, she's got hundreds of thousands of followers on various social media channels and has started a ranch from scratch and markets beef all around the country. So uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you today, Jill. You've got a lot going on and have a lot of experience that I know our audience will benefit from. So thanks so much for your time and welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. So for our listeners, you're pretty popular. Maybe many will have heard of you, but for those who haven't, maybe just give an overview of what all you do. And that's a long list, but yeah, what are all the, what are the, who are you and what are all the things that you're up to? Yeah. So um, I'm best known for being one of like one of the homestead bloggers, one of the original homestead bloggers. And so we moved to our property in Southeast Wyoming back in 2008. Didn't know what would become of that, what would, where we would end up, uh, but it ended up becoming really our life's work. And so um, we teach people old fashioned skills related to like personal food production. But then over the years, my husband and I have always had an inclination towards ranching and all that entails. And so it's kind of morphed into a, an arm of our business where we raise Hereford Red Angus and we direct market that around the country. Uh, we also serve our beef at a, a local restaurant we purchased a couple years ago. So we've been playing with that. And then um, I do a lot of online marketing I've written a couple books and created courses and such. And so I also have a side of me. I really love entrepreneurship. I love all that that entails and that roller coaster. So yeah, yeah. lots of irons in the fire. We have three kids, we homeschool. So our life's busy, but I, I like it this way. Yeah. So, and I might not know exactly what it is, but like maybe talk a little bit about homesteading, what, what that means. Uh, and maybe it's stuff that is I'm not sure a little bit more common to farmers and agriculturists who are living out on the land and stuff. But for those who maybe live in the city, it's very, very different lifestyle and stuff too. talk a little bit about what that is or what that has meant to you guys. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the best way to correlate it would be to compare it to the back to the land movement of the seventies. There's some of those same motivations that we see rising up today. And it started to really come into the awareness of the public, I'd say about 10 years ago, uh, but COVID exacerbated that, you know, it just yeah. skyrocketed. And so what I really, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could define it. Some people really think of gardens or chickens or dairy goats, but it's just a way of moving through life with intention, um, sure. becoming aware of the problems maybe with our food supply or with the education system or with our healthcare system and not necessarily opting out and going full off grid. Although some people do, I don't, I have electricity, um, <laughs> It's more just like examining the choices we're making and asking ourselves, you know, do we have to do it this way? Is this the best way? Maybe it is, yeah. maybe it isn't. And then just examining. And so what that ends up doing for a lot of people is bringing them back to a place of personal food production, because uh, mm -hmm. food's such obviously a big part of everyone's life. And so that could be gardening, it could be keeping chickens, it could be making sourdough bread. And so that's kind of where you yeah. see people um, starting, but it, it can go a lot deeper than that. And I think there is... There's some correlation with the conventional agriculture, farmers and ranchers, but there's also a little bit of difference. Um, we live in a conventional ranching community and even the people around us are like, you're doing what? You have, why do you have a personal milk cow? Why do you, why are you growing a garden that big? And so there's still some, like, they're still not, not sure because, yeah. you know, the conventional world of agriculture has moved away from that family farm dynamic. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I like what you said about just the intentionality. Like, I think that's something that we need more intentionality with our food system that's I, I talk all the time about how people it, it's funny to me how many times people will vote and say you know we need a certain person in power who they think will fix the food system but then they go on and they support they buy food product from Walmart and the cheapest yes. stuff they can find and with very little thought about what that what that dollar is kind of incentivizing in the market and stuff and we have more power over our food system than we think by either choosing to produce our own food or at least support food that we believe in and being intentional about that decision in general somehow. Amen. Yeah. We always want to look for the systemic problems and sometimes they're still there, but yeah. that personal responsibility piece is where it's at. Yeah. It's cool. But I think a lot of times, well, I guess maybe you probably have more experience working with people on this. What are the barriers to people getting into or why, why do people continue to 
purchase cheap lo- or cheap stuff at whatever grocery store? What what are the reasons people aren't going out and doing something different? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um how do I say this in a kind way? <laughs> like I think uh, yeah. I want to hear I, the uh, raw authentic the, answer. The raw the raw <laughs> yeah, way. No. I think No worries. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, when I talk to people, cause I'm always, I, as a marketer, right. We can talk about this in relation to lots of different yeah. realms, beef and stuff, but I'm always looking for the problems. What is the problem stopping someone? So I ask my audience that a lot. Why aren't you making food from scratch? Why aren't you growing a garden? And mm-hmm. so the things that always come up first are time and money. And those are really the problems across all industries. You know, yeah. that's always the excuses. And they're, they're not, it's not that they're not legitimate, right? Money yeah. can be a factor. Sometimes organic foods cost more. It definitely costs more to buy or grass-fed beef than it does the tubes of beef at Walmart, right? That there's a mm-hmm. there is a cost difference there. That's legitimate. Um, but there's ways around that. And then the time factor, you know, I always get people saying, I'm not, I don't work at home or I don't stay at home all day like you do. So I can't make any food from scratch. And so again, there's legitimacy there. If you work a nine to five, I get it. Yeah. I think honestly, what it comes down to, and maybe this is a little bit edgy. Uh, people don't are scared or don't want to put the effort into it because if you want it bad enough, you can figure out a way to do it in your own way. It might not look like me. You don't have to have a milk cow in the backyard, but you can figure out how to start making those little better choices. Even yeah. if it's not perfect, you don't have to spend your whole paycheck at whole foods. You can yeah. just start making little babies, baby steps. Uh, even just if you have, all you have is Walmart, you can still shop the different aisles of Walmart that aren't Velveeta and hamburger helper and <laughs> yeah. Stouffer's, right? So yeah, it's, I think effort is one of the bigger barriers that maybe people, people don't always acknowledge. Yeah. Well, I, I tease my wife who has a fantastic garden and feeds me so well. So I, I apologize to her if she listens to this one, but I always joke with her. It's like, Oh, why would we, why would we, uh, or why wouldn't we spend uh, 20 hours a week and $5,000 in equipment and stuff to yes. produce what we can go out and buy for $3 at the grocery store. Like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, totally. And I have yeah. had that conversation with myself and many other people because yeah, yeah there is that element for sure. Yeah, yep. it can be, it absolutely can be a lot of work and it can, can be pretty expensive too, but um, yes. Yeah. And, and then I wonder, and I don't know if there's any difference and stuff too, but like, I mean, now people taste buds and what we enjoy as far as food has changed too. I mean, people enjoy processed foods and what they can do to make foods addicting and flavorful and enjoyable in the moment is tough to compete with probably in a, what we can produce on our own. Absolutely. There's some fascinating books. Maybe you've you've probably read them. Um, There's one by Michael Moss. I think it's called like fat, sugar, salt, or sugar, fat, salt. It's those three words in some combination, but the whole book is about how the food industry has tailored the the mouthfeel and the taste to get us hooked and it's mm-hmm. almost almost impossible to counteract that because they're they're dealing with our brain and the chemicals in our bodies and all of those minute things we don't even realize that are happening so we're yeah. you know we, we can't stop eating the potato chips literally our brain's like more 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 and yeah. so yeah it's hard to get off that train and then it's also when you know you go out to the garden there's beautiful food but you bring it into the house and it's an ingredient like you have mm-hmm. to do something to it and so i think training yeah. our taste buds is definitely can be a process. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of, a lot of barriers to going down the route of intentional food production for sure. And even intentional food purchasing is still a lot of barriers. What are the ways that you have, I guess, broken down? Do you find that most of the people who are coming to you have already made the decision that they want to do something different? Or are you actually, what would you say you're, are you doing something to help convince, I don't know if that's the right word or make people think differently about the importance of being intentional about their food. I would say the the bulk of people who come to me have, have felt a little stirring inside. They've had a little voice of intuition go, you need to do something different. Maybe they don't know what it is yet. Um, and and they, that's when they come to me and I can, they start watching what I do and listening to my podcast. And then they're like, okay, there's, there's a path here. There's there, this is, this has been thought through. This can be done. Mm -hmm. I, I do have probably a smaller percentage that stumble across me somewhere on the internet and they're any other like this girl's weird. And then they, I kind of wear them down over time, (laughs) but you know, I, there has to be that initial decision made, I think before people are open, because you can present something to someone all day long and until they're ready to hear it, or until it's a problem that they recognize within themselves, then they're just not going to, not going to take it. Yeah. That's really true. I think it's hard to convince anybody of something who's not ready to hear it, but yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So was this kind of your first 
your first uh, entry into entrepreneurial or entrepreneurship was this brand around homesteading then? And when was, when did that start? Yeah. So yeah, this is my first thing. I had never thought of myself as an entrepreneur before. Uh, and I started that. So I bought a homestead. We bought it in 2008 and I started my blog in 2010 and okay. it wasn't to make money. It wasn't to create a brand. Like people weren't really talking in those terms. It was yeah. just because I was a stay-at-home mom with one brand new baby out on the prairie and I was losing my mind. Like I was going <laughs> stir crazy. And yeah. so I needed an outlet and that was my outlet. And I just wanted it to be an online diary basically. And then, right. you know, long story short, people, it's always fun to look at the beginning and the end, but we don't talk about the middle very often. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of just grinding it out. Um, but over the years, I started to realize that not only was there potential for this to become a business because I was providing value to people and they mm -hmm. were happy to compensate me for that, but I really liked it. Like I love uh, the game of business. I love marketing. Um, mm -hmm. I love the process. And I realized I actually was kind of born to be an entrepreneur. I just had to discover that along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I wonder if that's common with a lot. My wife, even we talk, we have Grassroot Cattle Company is our brand and we kind of took that over and she took that over and quit her off farm job. And she said something similar. It's like, man, I really enjoy this entrepreneurial thing and this marketing thing. Yeah. It's something that you almost stumble into and then you can realize that you love it. I don't know. It's probably pretty daunting and scary to think about uh, if you haven't already experienced it somehow. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's also hard, I think, in our generation, especially, you know, the world's changing so fast. So when I was a kid yeah. in, you know, the 80s and 90s, I'm not going to go, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to be an entrepreneur who teaches <laughs> online classes and sells beef. Like that wasn't a thing. And so yeah. even the word entrepreneur wasn't in my vocabulary. My, my family is not a business minded family whatsoever. And so, yeah. yeah, how do you, you don't know what, what you're missing, I guess, until you can start putting definitions around those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So I guess from there, when you started in 2010, the blog, uh, well, actually, I'm, before we even get to that, I'm curious more on this farmstead that you purchased in 2008. Um, what was your personal journey, I guess, at the beginning before you started sharing it through your blog? Yeah, so um, just kind of stumbling through it, making a lot of mistakes. And so my husband and I both do not come from agricultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, we were raised just typical kids in little neighborhoods, you know, in town. And I think maybe the the different thing about us though is even but the, from the time we were little we wanted some part of agriculture we wanted to be in the country we wanted to have a rural lifestyle and so mm -hmm. even back then homesteading really wasn't a term that was used a whole lot it was pretty pretty rare like today I can say homestead and everyone knows what I'm talking about back yeah. then I'd have to explain it because mm -hmm. um, they still thought we were getting free land from the government which is no longer a thing <laughs> FYI yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, I had worked at a, at a vet clinic for a couple of years. So I had large animal experience. I had been into horses, but I didn't know much about the rest of it. So it was the process of taking a, this tumble down property we had purchased and figuring out how to make it productive. And so one of our first projects was a compost pile. I started realizing that the manure wasn't a waste product. It was actually valuable. And so we started playing with that. Um, we dug up a little spot and started planting vegetables and I killed a whole bunch of them. And then we kept going and kept getting better uh, chickens then we brought home a dairy goat, then we brought home a milk cows. And so it was just adding one thing at a time, very imperfectly fumbling, stumbling. There wasn't YouTube when I first started, or at least I didn't know it existed if, if it was around. And so I was reading library books from the seventies, you know, wow. getting those techniques. And so that's, it, but I was loving it. Like it was lighting up a piece of me that I didn't even know could be lit up that much. I was obsessed. Yeah. And so that's where I started. The blog was just to start sharing that. And, and put it out to the world. And it was very well received because I think a lot of other people were feeling that same draw, even though they couldn't verbalize it. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of the the initial spark that caught fire. Cool, cool. And uh, so then I'll ask about where it went from there, I guess. And you started the actual branding and entrepreneurship. And when did these other different entrepreneur opportunities come into play as well? Yeah. So not till a lot later, I was really focused on um, the blog and its pieces and the income streams that were coming from there. And then in 2015, my husband quit his job. He had been working as an electrician. He had done all, all kinds of stuff there. He was working in the oil field for a while. He worked in the wind energy field. He had great jobs, but mm -hmm. he was working 90 hours a week and he was on wow. call. Yeah. And so once my businesses started, they actually started making just as much as he was making, if not more. 
we had that conversation of do we jump off the cliff or do we do we yeah. keep the benefits and the safe job, you know? And he yeah. had just gotten a job. He had a company vehicle. He had great benefits. He was making a great salary. Yeah. And he, and he put in his two weeks notice and our family thought we had lost our ever loving minds. Like <laughs> you guys just committed, you know, career suicide. Yes. All right. But that was, you know, you, you burn the ship. Sometimes you, you, yeah. you have to, you kind of force yourself to do or die. And mm-hmm. so, um, that we, when he came home, he had projects and then it also gave us a little more, you know, another, another body, another person to help with projects. And so he started working on the cattle, um, side of things a couple years after he came home. And so we, we had this vision of, you know, we had always wanted cattle. We had kind of wanted to get into the ranching world, mm-hmm. even though we didn't have families into it. And so, um, we realized that we could, there's lots of ways to invest the money we were making. And we're like, we could invest it in the stock market. We can invest it here, or we can invest it into cattle, which there's, I mean, there's lots of (laughs) debatable if that was a good idea, but, (laughs) um, but we did. And we decided we didn't want to just, you know, do the conventional model that everyone around us was doing. We decided we wanted to go farm, you know, farm to table, direct to consumer, um, and, and keep that ownership all the way through. And so he started working on that. And then two years ago in a roundabout way, uh, we, we bought the restaurant, which became another arm of what we Mm -hmm. do. And he, my husband's very handy with construction. And so he was able to you know, build the infrastructure for all those projects because he had come home from his job. And so that, that gave us a little extra oomph to start adding those other yeah. pieces. And I probably wouldn't have done that if it would just had still been just me doing my stuff here mm-hmm. at the homestead with the kids. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, a couple things there, even on, on your husband's journey, and maybe these are better questions for him. So if you don't know the answers, that's fine. But well, first of all, I'm just amazed 90 hours a week. That sounds like something a crazy farmer or rancher would do, but exactly. I don't even know if it's technically legal, like for companies to make people work that hard. So that, yeah. that's, that's crazy. But there's, I mean, they, people talk about like that, what do they call it? The golden handcuffs or something. I mean, like yeah. you, you have, they keep you, they compensate you well and stuff yes. just enough to not want you, not get you to think that maybe you can leave it or something, or it's just right. good enough to not want to leave it. Can you, I don't know if you can comment much on your husband's mindset. I'm sure you had conversations around it when you were talking about that. I mean, what was the conversation and how did you end up finally making the decision for him to drop all of that opportunity to try something different? Yeah. Um, there was, there's a lot, we've had a lot of conversations around that and it was a hard conversation. And I hear a lot of times because I have a lot of friends who are in my shoes, they, they, their wives and and mothers who have created successful businesses kind of accidentally. And I think a lot of times the dream is I hear them all say, I want to bring my husband home. I want to bring my husband home. And my husband is very clear and he's even recorded podcasts on this. He's like, I didn't need her to save me. I didn't need her to bring me home because he, he actually, he loved his job. He was good at his job. And so it it wasn't me coming along and going, can you come home so you can do laundry for me? (laughs) Like that would be helpful. Like it was him, him going, okay, I like my job. Um, but I also know that there's this trade-off I'm missing time with the kids. I'm, I think I could apply all of my own skills into my own life versus building someone else's business and someone else's dreams. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we had that conversation a lot. It was a hard conversation. And we we yeah. were to the point where we were, we weren't like, you know, it wasn't going to be rice and beans. We were financially secure enough. We had money in the bank. We knew we could live, let's say the whole world blew up. We could still live for, you know, a year with our savings. We So we yeah. were making wise financial choices. So we wouldn't, wouldn't just like, we wanted to sleep at night, you know? Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, it had to be, it was his choice, but he's, he, ha- it was a big one. I remember when he put in his notice, it wasn't a celebration. It was like, I wanted to throw up. Cause it was such a, really? a leap. Yeah. 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 Wow. Even though we knew we'd be okay. It wasn't like we yeah. were going to be destitute if something went wrong. Um, yeah. and then he, and he's talked about this quite a bit publicly. He really had to kind of find himself again after he quit because, you know, just thinking how much your identity yeah, is your tied identity. into what you do. Yes. And, and men are so much more that way. And I think that's just how men are wired and there's nothing wrong with that. But he, mm-hmm. you know, he'd been a very successful electrician, very well respected. And when he quit, even though it was his own of his own accord, he had to go, okay, well, who am I now? Like, wh- am I worth anything? Where do I have to offer the world? And so yeah. that was a multi-year journey of him kind of stepping into that and having to refine himself. And so, um, it was, it was a, a stretching personal, personal development journey for both of us along the way. And it's good. And we love now we call it being a full-time family. We're both home, um, all the time. Our kids are involved in the businesses, but 
that path wasn't necessarily clear when we, when we made that sure. decision, we had to just take one step at a time and just kind of like feel our way out. Yeah. Cause at the, at that time there was your business and there was his job. There was no kind of joint. You weren't doing stuff together no. yet. Right. Yeah. And, so, and he's, yeah, go ahead. He's always said, he's like, I don't, I don't want to blog. I'm not, he's like, I'm not going to write a blog post. I'm not going <laughs> to record a YouTube video. And I, I'm like, cool. Like that's not his yeah. zone of genius. It's not his gifting. Mm -hmm. So I didn't expect him to. Um, but yeah, he had, he didn't want to come along. Like he still helps around the house, but he didn't want to be Mr. Mom, which I totally respect. Right. Yeah. We do it a joint thing. It's not like he's the nanny and the housekeeper now. Yeah. And so, so knowing that he's not going to take that role, which I don't want him to, but then also mm -hmm. how, where does he fit and how does he fit into my businesses? There was a lot of jockeying around to, yeah. to sort all that out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that, that, that's awesome. Good context. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure that's a lot of personal discussions you had and challenges that I yeah. can't imagine you had to work through or how it was working through that. But I, I think that's something that a lot of people face. Even, I mean, there's a lot of farmers and ranchers out there who work off farm jobs who are still probably scared to get rid of that job for whatever reason. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective on how you finally took that leap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so I guess then he kind of through this whole process decided that maybe getting into the cattle production business was something that he thought he would want to take on. And what were the first steps you took in getting into ranching? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we live in a ranching area, so we're surrounded by, by family ranches and we had gotten to know some neighbors down the road and we'd help them with brandings and different things. And so we were pretty good friends. And then in a roundabout way, they ended up having an opportunity where we could lease some ground for them because our, our personal homestead is only 67 acres mm -hmm. and they have, you know, a lot of, of property. And so that, that opened up the door for us. And so we started off just by buying some of their calves and just kind of starting, starting with their genetics. And, and we made an agreement, we'd kind of run alongside with them and fit into their operation. And so, um, that's where it started. And like I said, we, we knew enough to be dangerous, but like we, we hadn't been raised in this world. And so yeah. there's been a lot of learning curves and things like that. Um, but yeah, so fast forward to today, it took us a couple of years for everything to get big enough to breed and to, to, to mm -hmm. get to butcher weight. Um, we still run down with them. We still lease from them. Um, I think in the, in the near future, we'd like to either lease our own property or buy our own. Like that's mm -hmm. kind of our, our long-term goal or sure. maybe short-term goal where we can yeah. uh, branch out. But yeah, it's, it's been good. He, and it's something that my husband's really risen up and that's kind of become his thing. You know, he's, AI certifications and figuring out genetics and learning the ins and outs of, of selling beef direct to consumer, because that was a whole thing that we didn't realize was as complicated as it is. So that was a process. Um, yes, but yeah, absolutely. so yeah, it, we, we like it and it, it is not, I mean, since we have multiple businesses, is it the absolute most profitable income stream we have? No, it's not, but it stands mm -hmm. on its own. And yeah. so it's also, we, what we say is it's like, it's, it's a lifestyle thing. We love mm -hmm. having it for our kids. We like having that piece where we can go down and, um, work with a cattle and, and talk about grassland management, all that stuff. So yeah. it's more of a lifestyle piece of the income streams versus the, the big time moneymaker. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense, especially starting out as you're trying to build in such a capital intensive business that you're, you have a ton of equity tied up. It takes a while to maybe finally yeah. get to a scale that you can really consider to be so like larger to be able to draw a decent wage from, but, uh, right. it, it, a lot of times it can be a, a equity builder, which is, which is a cool thing about it. But when you were first getting in, then you had that opportunity to lease this ranch. And even now, what were your thoughts? Are your thoughts on enterprises? I mean, you could have done cheap, you can do backgrounding, stalkers, cow, calf, direct marketing, all these different pieces. What were your, what was the thought process in determining what you wanted to do? Yeah. Good question. I wish I had a more intelligent response. It was mostly like, well, this is what the neighbors are doing. So we'll just kind of do what sure. they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so we went with cow calf, uh, and initially it was cow calf with the intent, you know, you, you take the calves to the cell barn in the fall yeah. and you just kind of follow that same pattern. Cause that's what everyone around us does. And then when we started to look at the numbers, we're like, well, what, well, I think, you know, direct to consumer makes sense, especially since I had a platform and I we had the yeah. marketing power. And so that, you know, yeah. that just felt right. Um, we had this and my husband, he he's been kind of ch challenging his own paradigms lately. Uh, he took ranching for profit. Are you familiar with yeah. them? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We've been to the yeah. school. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's fit. He loved it. And he, so now we had this idea when we first started because we are, we are serial do-it-yourselfers, like obsessive mm-hmm. do-it-yourselfers. We're like, we want to raise the cattle. We want to have ownership from the day they're born to the day they go to the butcher. We want all yeah. of the pieces. And then he went to ranching for profit and he's like, that might not actually be the smartest yeah. way to do it. Yeah. So they make you ask some pretty tough questions at Ranching for Profit that puts you in an uncomfortable position. So (laughs) totally, totally. And he was like, oh my gosh. Um, So we're in the middle of rethinking a lot of that. We're reorganizing. And um, I don't, so I don't know if we'll go straight from from birth to butcher Mm -hmm. in the future the same way we've done now. But um, at least, at least during that period, it let us kind of see all the different pieces and and get our feet wet on that. So that's, that's, that's important too, just to get the experience to understand that piece of the whole production system, even if you don't do it long-term, but uh, no, that, that, that's funny that it's quite often a thing that people leaving ranching for profit have is these very tough questions they have to ask themselves as we built this business around something. And it's like, is this still what we want to do? And I had, Trevor Burian on my podcast, who I was so impressed with. I mean, he went in February and by March or April, I think he had sold his cows. Like, I mean, yep. within months, it was a total shift of his production system. So, and it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it was a good school. I'm glad he enjoyed yes. it. I'm glad he went. Yes. So, yeah. Um, I love, I love when we challenge the paradigms, but I guess to answer your question, um, it wasn't, it was less in terms of models and enterprise. It was less about being super smart and wise and more just kind of like, well, here's what's available to us. So sure. let's try that. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Uh, that's uh, totally. Yeah. And I think that's what most people do, whether they're coming into the business or they're just taking over a family business is they do what everybody else does or what they've always done because that's what they've always done. And yeah. they don't know anything different until you're put in a position where you are exposed to some different ideas. So yes, that, yes uh, totally. that's awesome. Good. Um, well, Let's talk about the direct marketing piece then. And I know I have a lot of listeners who do that. Um, we do that and have people reach out all the time about it. But um, you kind of have probably a perfect audience to build a market like that. So that seems like a logical path to go down, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a, it's been interesting. So I, I, I feel like, and I, I hate to say that maybe this will sound weird, but I'm going to say it and I'll give a caveat. I feel like I have in terms of digital products in the homestead market, I have that figured out, right? I'm, I'm yeah. pretty, pretty proficient at that. I can, I know mm-hmm. how to speak to my audience. I know how to um, market things to them. I know how to give them what they want. It's been different going into the beef because not only is it an actual tangible product. Yeah. Um, and initially I'm like, oh, my audience is going to eat this up. No pun intended. But you have to remember homesteaders are like me. They're serial do your yourselfers. So they're like, why would I buy your beef when I can raise my own, which cool, like it's legitimate, like go raise your own. So it's been, there's been less crossover than I thought there would be. There has been crossover. So, but it's been, it's been this process of doing the same thing I do with all my marketing. Who is the customer? What do they need? What are their problems and how can I serve them? And so asking that with the beef, I've had to get really creative and and Mm -hmm. think outside of the box. And so honestly, if people look at um, my beef marketing, you can see I'm still figuring it out. It's still a process where I'm, I'm, I'm jockeying around and figuring out what's the best angle to take here. Um, And so maybe in in three years I can come back on. I'll be like, I figured I cracked the code. I figured out the secret. Uh, Come back. I will come back. I will call you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Please. Yeah. 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 But I think, and also I'm, you know, to be fair, the lion's share of my marketing focus does go to my other business just because, yeah. you know, it's a little more, it's a little more time intensive, mm-hmm. but for, for the beef, it's been asking myself, you know, with the people I'm attracting, a lot of them are coming from that homestead world. What are they needing? And then just speaking to them in a direct creative way that solves those problems. And so, um, yeah, it's different though. It's, it's, it's different. It's yeah. fun to figure that out. It's fun to see this, the orders and the sales come in, but yeah, different, yeah. different animal for sure. Yeah. And that's interesting. I wasn't sure with like homesteading, it's easy to do probably vegetable production, chicken, something like that. But beef cattle is a fairly, you need some sort of a scale, I guess you need some acreage to be able to feed something like that. And a lot of people don't have access to that. So I would have assumed maybe that that was an easy one that you can fill that niche for those folks that can't produce that. But um, I'm sure there's still a lot of challenges. And then you mentioned kind of the challenges of just you're marketing a different product. I mean, 
going from a, a media type product that's infinitely scalable, non-perishable, yes. no infrastructure required kind of a thing. It's a very different to go to a frozen product that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I've gotten so spoiled with, you know, selling eBooks and e-courses because it's like hundred percent profit and I can sell as many as I can yeah. sell. And so mm -hmm. when I've gotten into the rest, especially the restaurant world, it's brutal margins. Mm -hmm. And then looking mm -hmm. at beef margins, I'm like, this is horrible. And they're like, no, Jill, this is normal. You had a skewed perception, <laughs> yeah. you know, of what profit and margins look like with digital land. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's been a learning curve for sure. Yeah, sure. So talk about some of those. I think in the episode, one of the episodes that I listened to of yours, you talked about some struggles and challenges specifically with like storage and meat products and yeah. things. I mean, when you started going down this road, I guess not that specific, just what were the things that you thought first you needed? You started investing time and money into because there's some money that you have to invest into infrastructure as well. Certainly. Yeah. So there was a whole freezer saga um, that was brutal. So we had yeah. bought a little uh, kind of self-contained walk-in freezer, you know, mm -hmm. a couple thousand bucks. We bought it off of Craigslist or whatever. And we used that sure. for a time. But then as we started to process more animals, we knew that wasn't, there wasn't enough room. You could only fit like two or three in there. And so, mm -hmm. um, we decided to build or have a walk-in freezer custom built. And my, like my husband's real handy. He can do a lot of things, but he hired a company out of Colorado to come up and they were, that's what they specialize in. And so we thought it would be no big deal. Pay them, paid them. Well, you know, we'll, we'll do the hookup of the electrical and call it good. Well, um, it wasn't a super reputable company. So we had, I will save you the details, but it was, it was brutal. Like didn't show up, wired oh. it wrong, blew up the, oh, the condensers, didn't put yeah. the door on correctly. Like it was an absolute nightmare. And so we were working through those challenges while we have animals ready to come in, like to go be picked up at the butcher. And so there was this massive stress, like, I don't know, we have 5,000 pounds of beef coming and where are we going to put it? Like, yeah. that's pretty hard to go ask your friends if you can borrow, can I borrow a few feet of freezer space? Like yes. no one has, there's, there's no backup. And then, yeah. um, one of the facilities that we had thought could be a backup that you could rent freezer space burned down in the middle of it. And so there was a several months of just like complete freezer panic. So yeah. we got that up and running. Um, it's tried to blow up a couple times since when my husband <laughs> thankfully was able to get it going. So it, it runs well now. So we had our freezer and then I had this very naive idea that okay, I got the freezer and then we'll just figure out how to ship the beef. No big deal. We'll just figure it out. And yeah. that was like, I'm sure as you know, it's not quite it's, that easy. Yeah, it's not that, that easy. Yeah. And <laughs> just, you know, okay, do we do U UPS or USPS or FedEx and, and figuring that out? And then how do we get, I, I knew there had to be a way to get a better rate because I saw yeah. people online not charging $500 to ship a box of beef. But when I looked at UPS rates, they were way high. And so yeah. There mm -hmm. was, I'm like, where's the secret? What is, what, where, where, where's the secret sauce that no one's telling me about? Yeah. Like, there's gotta be a magic button here. Yeah. And so we figured out, you know, finally, we, we finally got a hold of UPS, figured out there's, there's special rates you can get within Shopify yeah. and, and they'll negotiate with you. Um, and then the dry ice situation, you know, we could, you can get it from a local grocery store, but we needed a lot. And so yeah. we, we found a, a factory <clears throat> about an hour away that We'll sell it in bulk, but then there was some sort of was during the COVID stuff. There was a shortage of mm -hmm. something related to dry ice. So then we we would be selling beef, and I couldn't get the dry ice. And so there was just was like one thing yeah. after the other, and then, you know, then finding the box, the right size boxes, and the right size inserts to insulate. Yeah. And so yeah, coming from the digital world, that was a steep learning curve. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we have it down to a, to onto a process now, but I, I totally underestimated how much that would take. And so I would say if anyone's listening and they want to get into direct, uh, direct meat sales, have that figured out ahead of time or have a map in front of mm -hmm. you before you start, you know, putting your website live and start getting orders. Cause it's, it'll be a little bit more than you think. Yeah. So that's a good, and there's some that's going to be like finding a freezer space near you is going to be totally independent to the the person. But some of those issues that you you talked about like specifically the shipping. Um, can you talk a little more on what that solution was for you? You said something about discounts through Shopify or something. Talk about, yeah, that, that specific, how did you overcome the barrier of the shipping costs, which is not cheap. Uh, it's not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, we ended up setting up an account through UPS and I'm trying to, it's been a little while since we did it, the whole rigmarole. So I'm trying to remember the details, but we have an account through UPS. Mm -hmm. And then I believe also, so we use Shopify to host our website and also to handle the orders, which is a really common platform. And so there's also, I think, I can't remember if it was solely through the UPS account 
or through the Shopify or a combination, but they do provide a, a reduced rate that is automatically given to you. And so if you go type in, you know, the poundage of your box on the UPS website versus what I can type it in on my Shopify website, there's a, a vast difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say if, it, if anyone's looking at this, I know some people do FedEx. We found UPS was just made the most sense in our area. It might be different depending on where you sure. live. Um, but call them up, talk to a representative, which sometimes it takes a while for them you to get through all of the customer service stuff to get yeah. to your local rep. Um, and see if they can start helping you kind of tell them your situation. And once we found an actual human to talk to, um, she was really happy to help us set it up and coordinate with Shopify and get our account or UPS account hooked in to Shopify. Um, And then what we do is we had this discussion, do we um, charge the exact rate to our customers? Do we, you know, ever, a lot of websites offer free shipping, which Mm -hmm that you have to build that price in somewhere. Right. And so we're like, do we do free? Do we offer a flat rate? Do we, do we make them pay the exact? And so just with the limitations within Shopify, we decided we kind of have zones. And so UPS can help you figure out your zones. And Mm -hmm. so the the places closest to us, we charge a a flat rate, I think 20 bucks. And then the places further out, it's a flat rate of 30, 40, and then it goes to 50 or 60. Mm -hmm. And so that enables us to keep the shipping pretty simple. And then obviously if someone's ordering a box to Florida, I'm my cost might be a little bit more than that flat rate, but then the, the person who's ordering in Colorado, who's next door to me, it's a little bit less. So we found that that balances itself out pretty well in terms of the, that flat rate. And it just keeps it a little bit simpler. Sure. Um, and then the other thing we've done is we have the flat rate shipping. We also have a, a little bit of that cost built into the price of the beef itself. And so just so there's less sticker shock with mm-hmm. the shipping when they hit the the add to cart, because sure. we still get sticker shock and I don't know how to avoid the sticker shock entirely, but yeah. you know, the, the, the insulation costs considerable amount, the dry ice costs, the box costs. And so putting some of that cost into the price of the beef has, I think helps a little bit, but it's, mm-hmm. it's been that dance of where do you put the numbers and what's going to repel someone versus what's going to feel okay to the customer. So, yeah. yeah it's a so challenge. It's a- is everything you do shipping or do you do delivery or pick up on farm as well? Or We we definitely do local. Yeah. And we have a different local price list because we don't have yeah. to figure in the cost sure. of the box. And so we love selling, you know, halves or holes to people. And we try mm-hmm. to keep, we keep quite a bit in stock at all times with our big giant freezer. And so yeah. I like being able to say, yeah, you want a half? Well, you can come get it tomorrow versus having to wait for us to, yeah. to process. And so, yeah, locals, locals awesome. Do you ship half beefs? No, like we quarter? don't. Okay. <laughs> no, I I would love to, but yeah, I haven't figured out. I, okay. I've told people I like, I could ship a quarter. It's going to cost you a lot. an insane amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I could do that. The yeah. tricky part is I would love a, a strictly local model. Yeah. Um, we live in beef country. So mm-hmm. everyone and their grandma has a steer. Like yeah. it is so saturated here. And so we realized to, to make this work, we had to go outside of yeah. our corner of Wyoming. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah, probably every, if they don't have their own beef, they've got a sister or an uncle or whatever totally. that does. And so totally, yep. totally makes sense that you would have to go beyond what you could drive to or something, but, um, awesome. The other thing then, uh, boxes and shipping materials, what stuff did you need or do people need if they want to do shipping? Um, and where do you source it or are there options that you know of yeah. to source that? So I can't remember our box. We've tried a couple different boxes. I can't remember our exact box manufacturer. I could provide that in the show notes though. I can get that to you later. Sure. Um, and mm-hmm. initially we yeah. wanted, packaging is important to me. I wanted it to be a good experience when they get their stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, if, if anyone has bought an iPhone or an Apple product, you know that when you get those um, p- products, you open it up and it's an experience. Like it's mm-hmm. very well made. The packaging is well thought out. It feels special. And so we kind of wanted that be the dynamic we shoot for with our beef boxes. And so uh, we had to balance that with cost though. Initially we had bought some beautiful white boxes with our logo on it and they were stunning. They were also super expensive. And so we realized that that wasn't going to work. Now we just use a plain cardboard box. Uh, I can't remember the exact dimensions. It's more square though than rectangle. And we found, we made, we print our own stickers and then we got some, uh, our company's genuine beef. So we got some tape that you kind of, mm. it's that tape you moisten. Yep. It's like paper tape. And so it has our logo on that. And that just looks nice, right? And we have the stickers sure. and the tape and that's a happy medium for us. That's mm-hmm. not um, super expensive. And then 
I, I love sustainability. I love things that are eco-friendly. And so I had a really hard time with styro the styrofoam mm -hmm. thing. And I've seen some people where they have you ship it back. And I, I think that's great, but I thought, yeah. um, how can we work around that? And so we use some, it dissolves in water. And so it's like these compostable, dissolvable eco, I'll get the name for you, eco-friendly yeah. um, panels that are, cust they, they fit the box. And so that's okay. the other thing you have to keep in mind when you're buying your box. Yeah you have to make sure your, your insulation fits in there, mm -hmm. um, appropriately. And so you have to, to jockey that and find, make sure the, the, the box person yeah. and the insulation person get along in terms of sizing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I like the eco-friendly insulation and then right now, um, when we're not, cause we're, we're more just kind of doing a trickle of orders each week. We found our local grocery store does have enough dry ice for us. When our volume goes up though, we usually have to go to a a manufacturing facility in our local area sure. and get a tote of dry ice. And that's okay. how we, we ship that out. Cool. So, so if you don't mind me asking, just so people who might want to do this, have an understanding of what, do you have an idea of what your cost per box to ship is when you include the shipping, the, the, the box itself, the insulation, the ice, what is your actual cost? Yeah, that's a great question. We have it in a spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I don't have the numbers on the top of my head because no yeah. yeah, my husband kind of handles very on the spot question. The, no, but it's a great question. Know. It does depend on um where it's going. And so sure. Let's say if I know if I'm shipping one to Colorado, which can go ground. So everything we ship is second day air that that except it's in our our zone one so sure. if it's in colorado or you know wyoming i can have it go ground and that's a little bit cheaper that'll be usually 20 bucks for mm -hmm. a box and we can fit oh i think around 15 pounds of meat in one of these boxes we okay. kind of have our threshold that we know we can fit yeah. the meat and the, the dry ice also depending on the meat if it's a big bulky roast it's going to be different than the flat mm -hmm. packages of hamburger sure. so i know zone one i can easily go probably 20 bucks or less um Whereas if we're zone three, Florida, Massachusetts, yeah. you know, New York, yeah. it, it'll be 40 or 50 bucks okay. with everything or a little bit more by the time it's all said that again, it depends on the weight of the box yeah. and Still all of pretty that reasonable actually though. Yeah. That, yeah. It, those, those special rates make a huge difference. Cause I think normally yeah. that would be over a hundred bucks. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting. Like, I mean, coming from rural Minnesota uh, on the farm and stuff, when, when I when we took on this brand grass fed cattle company, we started looking at the price points that they had already set for meat and you know, ground beef is nine bucks a pound plus or something like that. Our customers are totally used to it. And they they but I was like, wow, this is a lot of money. And then you start throwing if you're talking about fifty bucks to ship a box for fifteen pounds, yeah. you're adding three or four bucks a pound on top of something that at minimum is nine, ten dollars a pound. I mean, it it's a pretty expensive product, but I guess what we found, and I don't know if you've seen the same thing, is that the people who, you know, the people who are going to balk at price are not your customers. They don't, you know, maybe truly value the people who want, yes. they're not worried about the price. They they've already understood the value and they're not afraid of the price. Yeah. So well said. And that's, that was our biggest revelation is I'm not going to be able to convert the, some, the person who's just really happy with their Walmart beef. Like they're mm -hmm. not, they're not my customer and it's not worth my time trying to, yeah. you know, evangelize them. Maybe they'll come around later, but that's not for yeah. me to to do. So yeah, it's a, the, and when we get really clear on my customer and, and who we're serving, cause I did that with all my products, it's yeah, it's the person who's already comfortable with that world. Maybe they've already shopped at Whole Foods. They want food with a story. They want food with an origin. They want to know where it came from. They want, they want those grass-fed benefits. And so yeah. if you, I think making sure you're speaking to that person in anything you're marketing is such a crucial step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. No, I agree. Is there anything else on the marketing side that's been important that I haven't talked about? I'm sure there's a million things, but I guess what have I missed specifically on this piece before we move on? Yeah. Um, I think well, a couple, couple things. So I think that one of the biggest tricks I found, if it's a trick is just to think about whatever, kind of try to get in the head of your, your customer and, and offer specials or information related to that. And so, you know, um, last fall there was, and, and even now, but I think really last fall, there was so much talk about grocery inflation and everyone's worried about food shortages. Like that's been kind of a spiking topic over the last couple of years, but it really started to spike a couple months ago. And so I thought, well, how can I serve that problem? How can I help solve that problem? And so, um, we, we did freezer stocker specials and then my marketing was speaking to that 
that concern that everyone was feeling. I know you're feeling the crunch of the grocery store. Um, mm -hmm. I know you're wanting to have food in your, your stockpile just, just in case. And so here, we're going to offer you the special bundle at a discounted rate. And that went, that did really well. And then, mm -hmm. you know, just, it's kind of marketing one-on-one, but then, you know, if there's special occasions, you know, steaks sell better in the summer, obviously Memorial day, labor day, Valentine's day, um, 4th of July. And so just kind of trying to think where are my customers minds at and how can I come along and help them out? Um, and then the other piece that I had, it was really good. And I can't remember at the moment, but I'm sure it will come back. Sure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Well, if it does, let me know. It will but come I did back, yeah. have one more question, I guess, that came to my mind too. One of our struggles that I'm curious if you found a solution to is like inventory management and making sure you don't just end up with a huge stockpile of roast that you can't move. Yes. Do you have a solution around that issue? Yes. So we, we've also struggled with that. Um, I think we sometimes the specials will be related to yeah. what we have extras of, right? Yeah, so we that had works out, isn't an, it? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> an excess of T bones a while back, and so we did lots of steak bundles. Mm -hmm. We figured out with uh, people always ask, "Can you do free shipping?" And I'm like, "I'd love to do completely free shipping." I haven't. Do you guys have you guys figured out free shipping? We yeah, do okay. everything. We were fortunate because we tried shipping in early COVID and we had some issues, and it became a total pain with mm. meat getting delayed because of all that stuff then and talking to the Hitsfields, uh, Seven Sons Farms, yes. they said, you know, check out this website. It says how many people within the zip code and our freezer space in the Twin Cities. And there was 3,000 or 3 million people within a 20 mile radius of our freezer space. And it's like, why are we trying wow. to ship to people oh in gosh. the surrounding five states when we have 3 million within a 20 mile radius? So we've done all yes. delivery so we don't have to deal with that. So That's fantastic. I'm yeah. slightly jealous. Oh. Yeah, no, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. one of an unfair advantage of our location. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, there's not even a million person, people in the whole state of Wyoming, but really, wow. Yeah, yes. Um, so what was the, what was the question? The inventory oh, management and inventory yeah. management. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying free shipping. to, yeah, you had somebody yeah, wanted free to do shipping. free shipping, yeah, free shipping. Sorry. So, um, I can't do complete free shipping. I know they're always yeah. like butcher box has free shipping. I'm like, well, we're not butcher box for many yes. reasons, yes. Uh, but figuring out like when I have a steak in a package, it, I, my margins on steaks are better than my margins on ground beef. Ground beef, honestly, I don't make a whole lot on, even mm -hmm. with it being 10 bucks a pound. Yeah. It, with the shipping in the box, it's 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 more of a loss leader for us, but people love their ground beef. So yeah. I figured out when I have a steak in an order, um, my margins are good enough that I can play with the shipping. I have a little more wiggle room. And so when I had some like steaks to move, we could offer free shipping on certain bundles, which was was super helpful. So it's getting really cozy with your numbers and kind of thinking through what do the people need? What do I need to move to get mm -hmm. out of the freezer and, and playing with that has been helpful. Okay. So do you have like a price point where, you know, each cut, this is what I need to break even. And I'm able to drop my price this much to, I mean, do you have something like yes. that? Or, okay. We do. We've built out a pretty extensive spreadsheet. So I know even when I'm putting together bundles, cause my, my folks love bundles. I, have to keep a couple things in mind. Like I know the bundle has to fit into a box, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and then I have yeah. to make sure how many rows, how many steaks. And then I look at, you know, with this meat, I look at my bare minimum, what, what am my cost? And then I can play with the, the, the discount on that or the shipping. Sometimes I don't discount the meat itself, but we offer free shipping, which is like $30, $40 value, depending on mm -hmm. where they live yeah. or more. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, but knowing our numbers has been crucial because I think, and what I see happening a lot around us with people who are kind of playing with beef sales part-time is they are able to sell their hamburger for four bucks a pound because they don't realize they're losing money on it. Yes. Right. Yes. And so everyone's like, well, they're $4 a pound. I'm like, but they can't stay in business because that's not There's sustainable. No way. There's no There's way they're no making way. money on, on that. I see that all right. the time and it drives me nuts. We've had, we've lost customers to that. And it's like, yes, well, I mean, good. I don't blame you. If you can get the same quality product from someone else yeah. and I'm sorry for them, but go for it. I don't blame yes. you. <laughs> yeah, you can't argue with it. But yeah, no. that's that's the tricky part is you can easily lose money on on this if you don't have those numbers dialed in. Yeah, cool. That yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You definitely seem to know your numbers and stuff. So awesome. Um, well, if that other thing comes back to mind, uh, jump back. I in thought of, I thought of it really really cool. fast. Yeah. Um, good. I was just thinking, and this this feels simple and obvious, but I think a lot of times people miss it. Um. Whatever you whatever you're putting out there in terms of marketing, it's a Facebook post or an ad or an email. It has to be interesting. And I think yeah. a lot of times as business owners, it's easy just to blast out information. Um, and when I'm working with different companies 
and stuff. Sometimes I, I see that they're just like, well, just, just talk about the sale that I have. And I'm like, well, but, but the sale needs to have a hook. The sale needs to speak to the person's emotions or speak to a problem they're having. It can't just be by my thing. And so with the beef, um, I'm always experimenting with what angles are going to resonate. Sometimes when I, I send out a piece of content, it's purely education or informative or entertainment. You know, it might be a reel of us feeding the cattle on a really snowy day. People love the snow stuff. And so yeah. it's not designed to sell. It's just designed to help tell our story. And even with a sale, um, I'm going to try to make it interesting. I'm going to try to make it engaging. And I, I see a lot of marketers, whether they're doing digital stuff or actual products, um, miss that piece. They get mm -hmm. so round, wound up on, here's my thing, buy it, that they're forgetting that it has yeah. to be palatable to the customer just to get them to open the email and read it. Yeah. And I think my... Wife has always said we try to shoot for like two thirds content, one third sales type stuff, so that yes. like there's value, value, sale, value, value, sale, or something. Yes. If it's just sale, 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 yeah, they're they're not even going to open. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So then you mentioned that you bought a restaurant, and that is something that I we've thought somewhat about doing like a food truck, specifically mm -hmm. a burger type truck to move ground beef. I mean, did you see that as just a totally separate thing that happened to maybe be connected to your meat marketing? Or was that intentional, like an intentional to own your, your ultimate, your next source, I guess, or your next customer? Yeah. So it was kind of an accident. Um, really our, our impetus for that was we live in a tiny community, about 175 people okay. and it has been depressed economically for many decades. And so there's a little bit of a revival happening right now with young people coming in the area. And we're like, how can we best help with that? Mm -hmm. And since my wheelhouse is business and marketing, it made, I don't know, it made sense to buy a restaurant. That doesn't sound like it makes sense <laughs> at all, but there was this little soda fountain that needed TLC and it, yeah. we got it for a really good price. And so we had to completely renovate it. It was absolutely disaster, but hmm. part of our, you know, motivation in that was we were looking at the the number the numbers of the restaurant and trying to analyze if we were absolutely crazy but we're like you know we do have the beef source and so that's just another way we can put the beef to good use and we can kind of own another step of that yeah uh manufacturing line if you will and so um it wasn't the beef wasn't necessarily the only reason we bought the restaurant but it certainly helped and it's mm -hmm. it's been really fun like it is a great way um we kind of play with the numbers so we can, you can either have the ranch side of things make money on selling the beef to the restaurant or the restaurant could make the money if I sell it to cost. So kind of depending on where we need to be with taxes, I can, I can play with that. Right. Sure. I can price yeah. my ground because we're still selling it to our own. We're selling it to ourselves. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's been, I has been a selling point though, because before we purchased it, they were using kind of the bottom of the barrel, uh, uh, could I say pink slime on this yeah. podcast? Is that all yeah. right? Not okay. gonna bug me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was it was so bad it didn't even look like beef. I, one day the girls were yeah. making patties and I'm like, "What is that?" And they're like, "It's the beef." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> but um, upgrading it and being able to serve, you know, locally raised, grass fed yeah. uh, beef has been awesome. We get so many compliments on the burgers, and it's it's helpful for both businesses. And so sure. it was a fun little bonus. Yeah. Well, I. I love that aspect of what we're trying to do. We're a long ways off from that, but the idea of like building back rural communities, you've probably heard of Will Harris and what he's doing in yes. Bluffton, Georgia. Yes. Amazing. I mean, taking a dying town and turning it into a, what he's done. It's incredible. And um, I, I love that. So have you seen that yet? Is it starting to, imp does that impact the community? I mean, is it, would you consider it a, profit center for you or more so like it's a break even, but it's doing good things for the community. Where does it all fall in that? Yeah, it is profitable, not wildly beyond our yeah. biggest dreams profitable, but sure. restaurants usually aren't. It is profitable though. We, we've mm -hmm. seen a ma massive uptick in traffic and sales over the last two years. Mm -hmm. um, just because of my platform, it brings it in and it just is doing really well word of mouth. Um, but I think my favorite part of it is it has become... I've heard someone call it the third place, right? Where people in the community can hang out. They're not at work. They're not at home, but they're in that third place. And that's really important to me to have the old guys come in for coffee and to have the families come in for ice cream. Um, and we have a lot of tourists as well. And then as a side bonus, we had, I think I'm not going to take all the credit for it, but I think we helped. We had friends of ours open a mercantile across the street in a building that's been 
vacant for decades. Yeah. And we have talks of someone buying the hotel that's been derelict for decades down the street and they want to fix that up. And then we're working on um, starting a charter school in the area. So I think the community, when they saw someone believing in the town, which mm-hmm. to be honest, it was hard to believe in the town for a while because it was kind yeah. of looking like it was in its yeah. you know death throes. Yeah it kind of inspired everyone else. And I'm, again, I'm not taking all the credit for that because there's other people yeah. doing good things, but sure. it definitely helped. And there are days where it's hard. I'll, I'll tell that to anyone. Like restaurant yeah. ownership is not for the faint of heart. Like just mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, you know, staffing issues, employees not showing up, you know, people quitting because they're yeah. moving away. And you're like, what, were we crazy? Like we didn't have to buy this restaurant. We could have easily mm-hmm. done other things, but yeah. I'm really glad we did it because seeing that revival is is special. And I think, like you said, rural, rural America is worth fighting for. It's worth yeah. reviving. Yeah. I, I don't know if you have any vision of this, but I imagine like when you kind of started talking about it, I mean, do you see this being like the silos and like, wake? I mean, you're building this brand and almost bringing people in from your brand too, I would imagine. Yeah. We have referenced the silos many times. Um, I would love to see. Yeah. And I don't want it to just be me either. I want, I want other people, I want to see other people pick up the torch too. So, but yeah, we're seeing that those little, those little flames are starting to catch on right now. So it's pretty exciting. That is, that is cool. And uh, that's something to be proud of that this brand you built and stuff is impacting more than just yourself. It's impacting your community. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else that I've missed that you guys are doing as far as entrepreneurship or in in within one of the ones that we've talked about? Yeah, I think we covered, we covered all the ground. I think, um, I do have a book coming out in September. Um, that's kind of, it's some stories of our life, but really more just an overall philosophy of why we do what we do and why I think homesteading is so important for everyone, or maybe not even homesteading in terms of you know, buying the land of the milk cow in the garden, but just taking those ideas and mm-hmm. bringing them into modern culture. So that's been cool. a focus of my life for the last couple of years, but yeah. we're almost at the home stretch on that. Awesome. Where can people find it? Uh, you can get it anywhere books are sold. And if you want to just check it out ahead of time, I have a website for it. It's oldfashionedbook.com. The book's called Old Fashioned On Purpose. Um, cool. And I have a bunch of bonuses that people pre-order. I'll send them a bunch of goodies ahead of time. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Uh, if you mentioned now where they can find the book, where can they find you? Uh, anything else, anything you want to plug? Um, take a moment to share, I guess. Yeah. So uh, if you head over to the prairiehomestead.com, that's my OG blog and you'll get all the homesteading info, tons of free stuff over there. And you can also, it'll connect to the podcast and to my courses and our beef stuff. And so that's kind of the hub. And then if your folks are on social media, I'd say I'm most active on Instagram. That's where I spend the most time. I enjoy it the most. Sure. Uh, and it's jill.winger is my handle over there. Okay. And since if there are anyone, if my listeners are anything like me, I feel like I, podcast listeners are always looking for other podcasts. So maybe just throw a specific plug in for what your, what your podcast is. Yeah. Uh, it's called old fashioned on purpose and it's on iTunes, Spotify, all the places. Um, and it's not just homesteading. So if someone's like, I'm not a homesteader, I think you'll get a lot out of it. It's, it's just exploring some of these old fashioned ideas and challenging paradigms and things like that. Cool. So we have some really good guests on there. Cool. Awesome. Well, the last question I have for you that I try to ask everybody is if you had like two or three, four resources that can be books, conferences, conventions, podcasts, whatever that are, have been important to you and your career and and journey that you think other people should listen to, um, what would, what would those be? Yeah. So, oh man, I I'm a big book person. I do love podcasts too, but I do love, I love books. And so I think it would have to be uh, Wendell Berry. Have you ever, have you read Wendell Berry? I'm a huge, huge Wendell Berry nerd. So the unsettling of America was really transformative for me in my journey just to get that bigger picture. Um, and then he has a bunch of others. He has tons of books, but I, I think starting with the unsettling of America is a good one. And then Michael Pollan, he's not a homesteader. He's not a rancher, but he speaks so eloquently about food and encouraging folks to cook more, to rethink the food supply. Um, and he has a book on gardening as well. And so I think if someone's just wanting to explore that, maybe they're feeling a little taps and on their shoulder um, and they're wanting to explore what that looks like. I think he's a really awesome read. Uh, and then there's one other book called For Those Who Want to Get Really Nerdy on Nature and Soil and kind of the interconnectedness of all the things. It's called What Your Food Ate by David Montgomery and Anne B. Clay. And I had them on my podcast, actually. They were fantastic, but they speak to a lot of... Um, the issues around conventional 
methods and how we can work with that and work with nature instead. And so they were, that's a good read. Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. I had a blast. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.